verses 19 through 27 are the larger context of what we're going to be studying today. My goal today is to look at verses 19 and 20. Now, two verses, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but there's a lot of stuff in verses 19 and 20 of James chapter 1. Verses 19 and 20 say this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Two very simple verses. On the surface, they seem like they, uh, they are self-explanatory, and in, in one manner they are self-explanatory. But in a larger sense, we can spend a lot of time discussing the principles that we find in these two verses. Now, these verses are within a larger context, and that larger context uh, really begins in, in, in verse 18. I didn't have uh, Luke read verse 18 this morning, but I want to talk about verse 18 as we start. But I want to go ahead and read again verses 18 through 27, uh, and so everybody gets a chance to let these words sink into your mind as we study this word this morning. Reading James chapter 1, let's start in verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And by the way, if we get to verse 23 this afternoon, you, you want to be here this afternoon, because verse 23 just happens to be an incredibly rich verse. A lot, it's a lot richer than our English language can do anything with. So I encourage you, if you can, be here this afternoon. If we actually get to verse 23 this afternoon, the, the word hearer and the word doer are incredibly powerful words. And where was I? Uh, verse 24. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Worthless in some of your versions. Pure religion and none defiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted or unpolluted from the world. Now, I have been, uh, as I've been coming here for the last couple of months, I've been covering the book of James. We're going through chapter 1 very slowly, very methodically. And by now, I hope you've seen that James is a very practical book. James is a very practical book. There's a lot of theology, but it always comes with a practical application. The theology that James presents in the book of James always comes with a practical application. For instance, if I just look back through chapter 1, what we have seen so far is we've looked at the theology of trials and testings. Remember, we looked at the, the trials and testings are going to come, but then we looked at the practical way of how we go about enduring those trials and temptations. We look at temptation specifically, along with a practical application about how to overcome temptation. We understand the theology of temptation from James. We understand the practical application of how to overcome temptation from James. Now, in the passage that we're looking at today, and this afternoon, and next week, there's going to be three more theological truths wrapped up with a real-world application. 
What we're going to look at this morning, first of all, is the theology of becoming a new person in Christ Jesus, along with the fact that it makes a difference in how we hear and how we speak. Theology, we're new people, we're new creations, new man, new woman. Practical application, it's going to make a difference in how you hear and how you speak. What we would intend to get to this afternoon, if we, if we move right along, we're going to look at the theology of a transforming power of the Word of God, along with the need to obey what it says to do. You understand there's no transformation unless you obey what the Word says to do. And then, next week, what I'm working on right now for next week, we have the theology of true religion, along with what it means in our relationship to other people and our relationship to the world. Practical things that come, part, come away from theology. All right, well, let's get to the verses that we, we set out this morning to look at. We're going to ask the question. Everybody has heard this question before. Why do you only have one mouth and have two ears? Why do you have two ears and only one mouth? Everybody's heard that question before, right? And what's the answer? What, what, is, what is the answer that's always given? Why do you have two ears and one mouth? So you'll be swift to hear and you'll be, right. Some people give the answer, it's because you should listen twice as much as you should talk, right? It, it, that, that, is, that is the classic answer to the question. Why do you have two ears and one mouth? Because you should be listening twice as much as you're talking. Well, the Bible has a slightly different answer. That's not, that's not just terrible, but the Bible has a slightly different answer. The Bible has the answer in verses 19 to 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, once again, look back at verse 18. I'm going to make a different point out of verse 18 now. Of his own will, God begat us. He be, will, of, God, of his own will begat he us, that is, God begat us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 18 is talking about the new birth. Verses 19 and 20 talk about a new life. If we have experienced the new birth, we must experience a new life. Without a new birth, you will not have a new life. Trying to have a new life without having a new birth is an exercise in futility. They must go hand in hand. A new birth claim without a new life is false. A new life without a new birth is legalism. They go hand in hand. It's not really life. It's a. In fact, we'll talk about that next week if we finally, if we get there. Is that there? There's a whole system of artificial religion that claims to offer life that does not offer life. And part of that system is attempting self-reformation, self-transformation, trying to have a new life without having a new birth. That's that's a that's a subject that's covered in detail in verses 26 and 27. Second Corinthians 5.17, a very familiar verse, says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. King James is very precise with verb tenses there. The old are passed away. Not are passing away, but are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Not are becoming new, but are become new. It is things that are true, that are completed actions. The old has passed away. It's actually, it's not in the past tense. The old are passed away is very precise. It's a completed action. Are passed away. 
are become new, a completed action. Now, given that reality, verses 19 through 20 in James chapter 1 gives us three areas of instruction where the new birth should make a difference in a new life. And now, does anybody want to take a guess? What are those three areas? First of all, in how we, how we hear, how we listen. Okay, if you're working on your outline, we're finally in the outline here somewhere, I think. How we listen. The new birth is going to make a difference in how we hear, how we listen. Second, the new birth is going to make a difference in how we speak. Very good. And then the third thing that's going to be addressed in verses 19 through 20 is the new birth is going to teach us how we go about controlling our anger or wrath, uh, depending on which version you look at. We're going to talk in detail about what that word means here later on. I want to look at these three points in detail. First of all, point number one is we all need to be swift to do what? Swift to hear. Look at verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, swift to hear. Is James talking about listening to anything and everything? Okay, I've got a no, I've got a, a no. Is James talking about listening to anything and everything? I've got, I got some more no's. i got a no. Might be if your wife is speaking, yeah, but you know, see that, that that may be true, but is it the context? Why do I all the time get up here and when I want to cover two verses, read a whole pile of verses? It's because the context rules the translation of the verse or the, the interpretation of the verse. Swift to hear what? Look through the context and tell me the word. The whole thing is not swift to hear. We're not to be swift to hear to go down to the mall and buy every record every, what should be CD, I, I show my age, go down there to the mall and buy every CD indiscriminately and listen to every one of them saying, oh, the Bible told me to be swift to hear, so I'm listening to everything I can get my hands on. Is that the application here? That we should go into every church and listen to everything that's being said? That we should turn on the TV and tune to any channel and listen to what's being said? Is that the application here? No, the application is specifically we are to be swift to hear the word of God. There are things that are said that should never be said. And if there are things that are said that should never be said, they should not be listened to either. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Talking about unbelievers. Now, if it's a shame to speak about them, I will make the point that it's a shame to listen to it as well. So this is not talking about each and everything. Now, it's time for some confession. And it doesn't have to be specific confession if you don't want it to be. But what are some things that we listen to that we really just shouldn't be listening to? Ungodly counsel, that's one. Ungodly counsel. What did you say, Robert? Gossip? Did I hear gossip? Gossip is one thing that we should not be listening to. What else? Coarse joke, yeah, you're, you're back in Ephesians with me here. Coarse jesting, coarse joking, uh, depending on which translation you look at. I won't belabor the point, but I think you, you, you see that there's a whole category of things in this world which we don't listen to, should not listen to. There's a whole other category of things which are not worth our time listening to. They may not necessarily be absolutely blatantly sinful, but there's some things that are just aren't really not worth our time. Uh, and those, the, the, there, there's examples of that also uh, that we could think of at this point. But I'm not going to belabor that point. I'm going to, I'm going to press on. What James is talking about here specifically is that we need to be ready to listen to what the Word of God has to say to us. The word translated swift or quick here 
carries the meaning not of fast. It carries the meaning of being prompt and being ready to listen. What does the word prompt mean? <laughs> Very good. The word prompt means ready. What else does it mean? Immediate, but not necessarily fast, but immediate. At a, at a minute's notice, you know, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Well, listen to the word, be ready in season, out of season. What else does the word prompt mean? Anybody that knows me knows I like the word prompt because I like to be on time. I make a very specific point about this because the writer of the book of Hebrews will say something about that, is that the word of God is for right now. It's for tomorrow, yes. It's for yesterday, yes, but for us all sitting in here listening, read, reading the Word of God, it is for right now. It's not something to be put off until later. Yeah, as long as it is today, that, that's what that's what the writer of Hebrews says. As long as it is called, today, as long as it is called today, do not harden your heart in, 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 in to take the application here. Do not harden your heart to the Word of God. Uh, and how about ready? If prompt... Prompt has to do with timeliness. What does ready mean here? Attentiveness. Anticipation. Watchfulness. Those are great things in terms of being ready. You know, how many of us are sitting here apathetic as we listen to the Word of God this morning? I realize I might not be the greatest teacher in the world, but you got the Bible open in front of you. If you're not getting something out of what I'm saying, look at the Word of God. Don't pay any attention to me. What else? I'm, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm fishing for one more word here. Prepared, that's the exact word I'm looking for. How many of us actually spent active time preparing to come in here and be ready to discuss the Word of God? I tell you, I, I, didn't, spend active, I didn't spend enough time preparing to come in here and stand up in front of you and talk about the Word of God. I, I, think, I think it behooves us all to be prepared as we come into a worship service like this, to be prepared to go through the Word of God. And, and just to get on a soapbox, I don't get on soapboxes much, but I will get on a soapbox. It's a real great idea if you actually know what to prepare. And that is one of the things that, that I find very appealing about expository preaching, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is there's not a whole lot of guesswork going on into what you're going to be doing. You figure out where you were last time and say, well, I bet we're going on to the next few verses, maybe, maybe only part of one verse next week. It wouldn't be that hard to prepare yourself if you were in a system, so to speak, of knowing where you're going to be. And Brother Herman, I realize it's hard. It's hard when you have somebody different coming in here every week. And but, but you know, this is this is the way I do things. You know, I, I I do book, chapter, verse, word by word, and hopefully there there's a little consistency in there uh, in the Book of James. All right. Uh, now, I want to point out here that God is speaking to each one of us in here all the time through his word. The problem with most of us is that we're not listening. Now, how does God specifically speak to us through his word? There's more, there's, there's more than one way that God speaks to us through his word. Now, I'll, give you, I'll let you have the obvious one first. What's the obvious one? God speak to, speaks to us through his, through his word by, his, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us by his word. By the illuminating spirit, uh, uh, illumination of the Holy Spirit through His Word, a mark of true faith is an eager pursuit of the Word of God. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen to seventeen, very familiar verses. All Scripture is given by the by inspiration of God 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, we've talked about the word perfect before. It doesn't mean without fault. It means complete, mature. Now, I could ask for a show of hands. Who in here would like to be a more complete, more mature Christian? What is required? What is required is the Word of God. And how does it do it? It does it by doctrine, by reproof, by correction, and by instruction in righteousness. What's an interesting exercise sometimes is just sit down with your Bible, wherever you happen to be studying, write those four words down, and look in the passage for those elements. It's a very instructional exercise to go through. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrows, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is how God is speaking to us. And as you said, Glenn, it's only through the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit that any of this happens. Without the Holy Spirit working as you read the Word of God, there will be no completeness, there will be no maturity, there will be no perfection. So that's a very good point, very good point. Anybody, before we move on to the next point, does anybody have anything you want to say about that? Living, yeah, sure does. Yeah, yeah, living, yeah. yeah I think uh, that some versions also use the word active there, is living and active, or actually I think it's given as a parallel term, active, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The context there is, though, it's the Word of God that discerns good and evil in yourself. But, it, but once again, it does teach us how to discern good and evil. All right. Now, but is that the only way? Is the only way that you get the Word of God by opening the Bible in your lap and looking at it? Are there other ways the Word of God comes to us? Miss Randolph, I think you said it. It comes to us through the through the ear, through the ear. God not only has his word available to us in written form there for us to hold in our hands and read, God also equips people to do what? To read the word, to exposit the word, to expound upon the word, so that you can hear the word of God. God speaks to us through the preacher or the teacher. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15 says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in, in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, I realize this is talking primarily about unbelievers. I think you can extend some of this as to the saints need the teacher for the word of God as well. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. There are people that the Holy Spirit has specifically equipped to read and expound the Word of God. Now, that's two ways. God speaks to us by His Word. God speaks to us by the hearing of His Word. Are there any other ways that God speaks to us? And this is going to go back to what you. This is going to go back to what you said before, Glenn. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and, and that is the third point. God is speaking to us through His Holy Spirit. Now. I think well, let's just have a, let's just have a conversation here, Glenn. Is there a danger when we say those words? 
Right. So, so if we think that God is speaking His Word to us through the Holy Spirit, the first place we ought to test that is where His Word. Absolutely, because there is a danger of if I get up here and say the Holy Spirit told me this morning to tell you all that there's a book in the New Testament that we don't have. That happens. Right. Or we go to the end of the book of Revelation. Any man who adds to the words of this prophecy, you know, all the curses that are written in this book will be upon him. And I'm paraphrasing there. I don't have to memorize very well. But, but, that, but So when the Holy Spirit does speak the word to us, but it can be so abused. It can be abused terribly. And I'm not talking about just in the, in the Pentecostal charismatic world either. I'm talking in fundamental... In fundamental evangelical churches, people will tell you the word the Spirit has told them something that is contrary to what is revealed in the Word of God, and it's a danger. It's a danger. So when I don't want to, and I don't want to get too far away from that in saying that God does speak to us through His Holy Spirit, but you better be firmly founded within the Word of God to be able to test the spirits to see if they are indeed from God. Uh, now that we have the warning firmly implanted, we can look at the role of the Holy Spirit, though. John 16, verses 13 through 15, are a classic passage in telling us exactly what the role of the Holy Spirit is in terms of the Word of God. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. How be it when he, who he, who's the he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you, talking to the apostles or the disciples, into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, Jesus Christ. You want a real good idea? And this is a sidebar, by the way. I'm reading a very good book right now. And this is borrowed from John MacArthur's uh, Strange Fire book. You want a real good idea if somebody's preaching, teaching, prophesying, praying, are real or not, if they're, if they're true, if they're godly, if they're righteous? The primary test, and this comes, this actually comes from Jonathan Edwards when he was faced with the first great awakening in questions. What's the first great test? Is does it bring glory to Jesus Christ? That's the first and greatest test of all teaching, preaching, praying, manifestations of the Spirit, the use of spiritual gifts. All of that is the first. If you want to know if it's true or not, the first thing you ask yourself is does it bring glory to Jesus Christ? Um, all glory, all glory, not just a little glory. I got to tell a story, okay? Now, don't call me a heretic, okay? Don't call me a heretic. But last Tuesday night, I had the opportunity to go to a country and western Pentecostal revival. Heretic, heretic yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yeah. I admit it. You know, it, it was for it was for education. Okay, it's educational purpose. So don't try this at home. But I went for I went for educational purposes. And before uh, talk to me about it sometime. I'll tell you the whole story. But before the the service even started, there there's a guy and he was a pastor of the church. I didn't know at the time. Walking back and forth across the front, muttering the word Jesus to himself, but never had the S on the end. Jesus, Jesus, back and forth. And I'm sitting here thinking, and, and, I, and I, I know these principles. I said, does that bring glory to Jesus Christ? And then the illustration hit me. Said, what if someone came into your living room and walked back and forth across your carpet muttering your name without the last syllable, without the last, last consonant, over and over again? What would you think? Would you think, that guy, he's really honoring me. Would you think that? 
Would anybody think, would, does anybody want me to come do that in your house? Uh, I'll be there. I'll be. You see, that's the first thing that went through my mind. Is this guy walking back and forth across the platform, muttering the name of Jesus without the S on the end, is not bringing any glory at all to Jesus Christ. But Lester and I, and uh, who Josh was there, and uh, Nathan was there, I believe. We went over to, we heard Paul Washer speak a couple of years ago. And during one point, he did nothing but break down and just fall on his face before everybody and said the name Jesus over and over again. Did that bring honor to Jesus Christ? Lester, did that bring honor to Jesus Christ? What is the difference? What's the difference between what I saw last Tuesday and what you and I saw in Jackson, Mississippi? Yeah, exactly. It's got nothing to do with the word being spoken. It had everything to do with the intent of the heart. Paul Washer didn't do it for show. In fact, I bet he wished everybody had gotten up and walked out so he could have been there alone to do that. All right. Have I been on my soapbox long enough? What I want to do, I want to go ahead and finish the, this this thought about uh, hearing the Word of God, and then we'll move on this afternoon into the into the rest. Uh, the uh, Old Testament has a story that I'll, I want to turn to and read. And if you'll just bear with me for just a second. Yeah, I, I want to end with this story. The Old Testament has a story that I want to turn to and look at. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. As you turn there, let me tell you, this is the story of the prophet Elijah. And as you turn to chapter 19, you're more than likely thinking, oh, that's, uh, that's Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Right? That, that's, that's, the, that's the highlight that most people see in 1 Kings chapter 19. That is not the portion of chapter 19 that I want to turn to, though. I want to turn to, this, to the story beginning at verse 13. You remember what happened to Elijah after he, he confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and fire came down from the Lord on Elijah's offering but not on the prophets of Baal. He had all the prophets of Baal slaughtered. And remember there's a queen, Queen Jezebel, I heard it, Queen Jezebel, who says, may my life be like theirs if the same thing doesn't happen to you by the end of the day today. And what does Elijah do? What does he do? He hides. Well, he what does he do before he hides? He runs. He runs, and then he hides. And that's where we take up the story. Elijah's hiding in a cave. Uh, chap- uh, chapter 1 Kings 19, verse 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, that's Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... A still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now I'm going to stop reading right there. There's a very interesting discourse that occurs after this, but it's not the point that I want to get out of this particular passage. I stopped reading there for a reason. The conversation afterward is not important to what I want to say right now. How the conversation started is important. 
How did the word of God come to Elijah? Did it come in the wind? Did it come in the earthquake? Did it come in the fire? How did it come then? A still, small voice. Now, here is a practical application. How often do we look for the word of God to come in a fire, in an earthquake, in some mighty way that there would be no doubt at all? If we heard that, that would be the word of the Lord. If God came to me in thunder and lightning and said, you shall, or you, I am commanding you to do this, we would all listen, right? I dare say every one of us would listen with great intent on what God had to say to us. If he came in an earthquake, he came in a fire, he came in a mighty wind. But what happened here? God came to Elijah in a still, small voice. The problem that I have with our society today, my life included, is that my life is filled with so much noise and so much outside influence, so much of this world, that if God ever came to me in a still, small voice, I probably wouldn't hear him. I'm ready for the wind. I'm ready for the earthquake. I'm ready for the fire. But I'm not ready for the still, small voice. Consider for a moment with me as I close the word amusement. Amusement. What do we call Six Flags? In generic terms, we call it an amusement park. Anybody ever thought about what the word amusement means? Take the mint off the end of it. Let's just take the word amuse. It breaks itself into two pieces quite nicely, right? A and muse. Now, if you know Latin, you know what the word, you know what the letter A in front of a word means, right? Not. Anybody have a clue what the word muse thinks? To think. To think. You know what amusement is? Not thinking. Thoughtlessness. Now, is amusement wrong? No, I think there's some opportunity for amusement in our life every once in a while. I mean, we have fun doing things that are amusing sometimes, right? I'm not against fun. But what I think we have done, especially in our society, is we have concentrated so much of our lives upon amusement that we never give ourselves the opportunity to think. We never give God an opportunity to speak to us in that still, small voice. Now, I'm going to end right there, and we're going to take up uh, the rest of the the other half of this, uh, verse 19 and verse 20 this afternoon. And uh, 21 through 25, we'll just wait till next week. So I encourage you if you uh, to be here next week. Uh, I encourage you to, you know, be in the church that God wants you to be at. But if you're you're interested, I'll be here next week doing verses 21 to 25. Be here this afternoon doing the rest of the 19 and 20. Now, I've done a lot of talking. Y'all have done a lot of talking. I appreciate that. I don't want to end without giving the opportunity for more people to have their say. I don't want to end without the opportunity for someone to say a prayer if you need to say a prayer. Uh, it can be a personal prayer. It can be a corporate prayer. prayer. And I don't want to end the offer without somebody maybe has a uh, hymn that you'd like to sing before we, before we close for lunch. I think uh, on that, as we turn to that one, I think that adjective, quick, uh, richly, is uh, important there. Not just let the word of Christ dwell in us, but richly and, and in fullness. Yeah, very good. Yeah. 
very interesting you, you bring that point that, that first out because there are people that would abuse that term and they would take no thought, as in do no preparation whatsoever. Yeah, it, the, 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 the idea there is, is that you should be, and, and this is my view of an elder, by the way, that they should be so, so deep into the Word of God, so immersed in the Word of God, that they don't have to say to, uh, they don't have to say to Caesar, let me get back to you in a couple of days after I have a chance to study that. And that's one thing that Jay Adams says in his counseling course, is the counselor must be a preacher who's able to preach on any subject at any time because you never know who's going to come into your office and what they're going to say, what they're going to ask. You have to be immersed in the Word of God to be able to help somebody in that kind of situation. So I appreciate that, and that, that take no thought, don't abuse that and say don't prepare. Anybody else? I guess this term in our computer is probably garbage, you know. What we put in our head, if we're not putting the Word of God and dwelling on it, spending some time, we're probably getting a lot of garbage in our head. And it's, uh, yeah. The other thing that reminds me, speaking of parable, we should, the Holy Spirit, make fertile ground. I would put words out the Word of God. Yeah, yeah, the, the picture of the farmer is a person who actively works planting, watering, tilling, fertilizing, but who depends upon God for the increase. All right. Anybody else? Mark? Well, primarily, I think it comes to us from reading his word. Just to give you an example, a lot of us in here would have what we call a quiet time, okay, in the morning. But how many of us actually spend quiet time quietly? How many of us spend that quiet time thinking about what we're going to do 20 minutes later? I propose that that, that, that that still small voice comes to us primarily when we are in the Word and focused on the Word, being attentive. Uh, you used the word attentive earlier, Lester, I think. Being attentive to the matter at hand and not attentive to the details of the rest of the day. I think also the still small voice comes to us even as we're sitting in here doing something like this. Uh, and I think that, that's... Uh, uh, the, you know, the preaching doesn't have to be all yelling and screaming and shouting. It doesn't have to be full, fully charged of emotional appeal because a still small voice comes from the Word of God, not from somebody yelling and shouting their views of the Word of God. So two ways. Other, other people might have even a better answer than that uh, than I do on that one. Yeah, maybe not. I gave you yeah. Oh, Glenn? Hear that one, Mark? Okay. okay. All right. At this point, anybody? Uh, I'm going to close in prayer unless somebody else in here would like to stand up and say, "I want to close this in prayer." All right. Well, I see no hands, so I'll close this in prayer. Lord God, uh, your word indeed searches our inmost being, and even when we come upon something as simple as just the words, be be quick to hear. You can take us in your word, Lord, just to so many things that point a finger at us and tell us that uh, that we are guilty of not doing what you expect of us. And, Lord, we confess that if we try to do things by ourselves, that we are helpless. And therefore, Lord, we cry out to you that you, will, that you will work through us, work through the Holy Spirit in us, 
to be more attentive, to be more prepared, to be more prompt, and to be more ready. And Lord, help us put things out of our life that are detracting us from the attention that we need to pay to the Word of God. Lord, we, uh, we live unbalanced lives. We are so concerned about our entertainment and our health and our security and uh, our amusements, Lord, that we take what's really important, the Word of God, and we push them out to the side. And, Lord, we repent. We repent, Lord. We pray, Lord, uh, for your forgiveness for the times when we just haven't been open to that still small voice. Lord, we uh, kneel before you this morning, kneel before you in our hearts. We praise your name, Lord, because you are full of grace and mercy and compassion, that you see our sins, Lord, as forgiven because of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we lift up our pleas, our cries, our confession, our repentance to you because of him and his power, for his glory, for his kingdom. Amen.